Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, uh, today we are continuing a series of messages on the end times. And this is our third message. And I'm simply calling this one sevens. And uh, part of next week will be the same. Uh, and as we get into the message, you'll uh, catch on why. Uh, and I, I say this from time to time. Uh, I've got terrible titles, but I have great messages. So don't, don't turn it out. It's going to be, it's going to be great today, right? And one of the great things about prophecy, because we're looking at some prophecies today. In fact, if you have a Bible or if uh, you've got your device with you, you might want to find Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be spending the majority of our time there this morning. But one of the things about prophecy is it proves that the Bible is a supernatural book. We're going to look how God, hundreds of years beforehand, down to the day, has prophesied what was going to take place. And I think that's amazing. And the other thing about Bible prophecy, because some people think you're just talking about something spectacular. But that is not the truth at all. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 3, that he that has this hope, when we look at the word of God and we realize Jesus is coming soon, it says he who has this hope in himself purifies himself. Purifies himself. In other words, so often what we do is we go to church and the pastor says sin's bad and you go sin's bad and then you go sin. Right? But the Bible says when we understand that the return of the Lord and his kingdom is at hand, it says we purify ourselves. So Daniel chapter nine, you're finding that well, you do. I want to give you a little bit of, of set this up. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. They're at the Temple Mount and they've walked out and they've gone over to the Mount of Olives and they're they're looking across and and the disciples have said to Jesus, Jesus, look at these these beautiful buildings and these huge stones and and, and Jesus What's going to be the time of the end? What are the signs? And by the way, it's not the end of the world. It's the end of human government. Right? How many of you know we're praying your kingdom come? Right? His kingdom's coming. And when his kingdom's coming, neither the, the Republicans nor the Democrats nor the independents are going to be in charge. Jesus is going to be in charge. Right? So, so it's, it's the end of the age or the end of human government. And, and, and Jesus says, don't be deceived. And he goes on and he says, look, now one of these stones, and this is important because we're going to see this later in Daniel's prophecy. He says, not one of these stones is going to be left on top of another. He says, they're all going to be knocked down. He said, <clears throat> the, the, 20, the 15th verse, he said this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So, so Jesus is talking about something Daniel prophesied called the abomination of desolation. He says, when you see it in the holy place, right? so something's going to happen on the Temple Mount. There's going to be some sort of a structure that is going to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. And the holy place is the holy place on the Temple Mount. Right? It's the holy of holies. So something's going to be there. He says, and when you, when you 
when you hear this, he says, you need to understand this. So I want you, if you came with somebody, I want you to look right at them right now and say, you need this. You need to understand this. The reason is Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks about the abomination of desolation is the key to understanding end-time prophecy. If you don't understand it, you will not understand end-time prophecy. But if you do understand it, it's the key that unlocks the rest. When Jesus gave the parables, he gave so many. In one chapter, there's seven of them. But he said, if you can understand the parable of the sower, he says, you can understand all the parables. He says, but if you don't understand the parable of the sower, you can't understand any parables. So that's the parable of the sower. It's the key to understanding all Jesus' parables. And the key in end-time Bible prophecy is Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. All right. So here we go. Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. Once again, who is this prophecy to or about? Your people, who are they? The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the holy city. What is that? It's Jerusalem, right? Now, Jerusalem may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to God. And it's a big deal in God's plan. It is called the city of God, the city of the great king, right? This city is important to God. In fact, God mentions that in the last days, he's going to draw people's attention to his city. Now, now this city is not even a million people, right? But it is in the news almost every single day. How many of you have realized that? And Zechariah said this, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it'll happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone to all people. Give me just a second here. There are more news correspondents in Jerusalem than there are in Beijing, than there are in Moscow, than than there are in any city on the face of the earth except Washington, D.C. More news correspondents. Why? Because God is focusing attention on the city of Jerusalem. And it will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. And by the way, it's important what happens in Jerusalem. When President Trump moved the, the, the United States embassy into Jerusalem, that may not have been a big deal to you, but that was a big deal. Understand that? That was a big deal. Right? And it will happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. And all who will heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. Although the nations of the earth gather together against it. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy nation. Prophecies, some prophecies have to do with the church. Some prophecies have to do with unbelievers, with Gentiles. And some prophecies are for Israel. And notice here specifically a city, Jerusalem. It's important that we don't think that everything in the Bible is about you because it's not. Part of it is God fulfilling promises that he made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And it's important that we understand that. Now, notice 70 weeks. 
Now, these are not weeks of days. They're weeks of years. When Abraham's grandson, Jacob, is running away from his brother Esau and, and goes and works for his uncle Laban. Laban says, well, you're working for me. How am I going to pay you? He says, I'll work one week to marry your daughter. Now, it was not a week of days. It was a week of years. And in Bible prophecy here, when it's talking about a week, it's not talking about days. It's talking about years. Now, notice 70 weeks. 70 is 10 times 7. When this prophecy is given, Daniel is a Bible scholar, and he's looking at Jeremiah's prophecy. And Jeremiah prophesied that God was going to send his people, Israel, into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Everybody say that, 70. Seven times 10. Now, the reason they went into captivity is because God had said every seven years, on the seventh year, don't plow your field, let it rest. They disobeyed for 490 years, which is 70 times seven. And so God sent them into captivity for 70 years, which is seven times 10. You must have gone to a modern math class. <laughs> After this, Daniel is praying again about, Bible, about the future, and the angel Gabriel comes and answers his prayer, and the Bible is very specific, after he has fasted for 21 days, three times seven. I want you to listen to this, Matthew chapter one, giving Jesus genealogy. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, two times seven. And from David until the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations, two times seven. And from the captivity of Babylon to Christ are 14 generations, two times seven. Right? And next week, we're going to get back into again on seven. And this is a very, very important number whenever you're dealing with Bible prophecy. So Daniel is praying. He's seen the, 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 the prophecy, 70 years. And the 70 years are just about up. And so he's praying. He's praying about Jeremiah's word. Now it says this, Daniel chapter nine, verse two. In the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, understood the book of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And I set my face towards the Lord to make a request of prayer, of fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And he's praying and an angel comes and, and gives him this understanding, this vision. It's almost like it's a riddle, right? And it's this prophecy about 70 weeks, 490 years. 70 weeks are determined for your people, the Jews, Israel, and your holy city. During this 70-year period, it will finish transgression to make an end of sin to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. All the Bible visions and prophecies are going to be fulfilled to anoint the most holy. Jesus comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, 
Here we go. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the command to restore and build Jerusalem, not just the temple, which happened before, but the city, until Messiah the Prince, Messiah the Prince, that's Jesus. There will be seven weeks, seven times seven, 49 years, and 62 weeks, 434 years. The streets will be built again, and the walls even in troublesome times. So this prophecy says there's going to be 49 weeks and 434 weeks. You put those together, those are weeks of years, and you have 483 years. Now, here's what it says. It says, from when the command goes out to rebuild the city, the clock begins to tick. And there will be 49 years and 434 years. Those together, 483 years, and the Messiah will be here. Right. So Jerusalem is in ruins. The command goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. It took on and off and on and off but it was 49 years in building. Then there's 434 years of waiting to get the total of 483 years. Now, these are not years like you know. Our calendar has 365 and a quarter years. Jewish calendar is a little different. It's only 380 days in a Jewish calendar. So if you take 483 and you multiply that by 360, the number of days, what you will find is you end up with 173,880 days. Now, the countdown began once the command went forth to rebuild the city. That happened when King Xerxes, and it is actually believed, this is the guy that was married to Queen Esther, right? And she was probably sitting right next to him when it happened. Right? But it was March the 4th, 445 BC. 173,880 days later is March the 29th, AD 32. It was Sunday. It was a nice day. Exactly what the temperature was, we aren't sure, but it was a nice day. And Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. But right before that, his disciples went and found a donkey and put him on that donkey. They put their robes up there. And he's riding down, and the people are coming out of the city of Jerusalem, and they're cutting down palm branches, and they're waving them. We celebrate this day every year as Christians. It's called Palm Sunday. Right? And Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives, People are waving palm branches. They're taking their coats, and the, the, the donkey is walking on people's coats, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, it said from the command to go forth and rebuild until Messiah the Prince comes, there will be 173,000 880 days, and I think it's great that God pinned it to the day. To the day, Jesus is coming down. He's riding in. They're shouting, Hosanna. It's Sunday. It's March the 29th. The crucifixion 
is going to be on April the 3rd, and the resurrection is going to be on April the 5th. Now, the Bible says until Messiah the Prince is going to be the 42 and the 62 weeks, and then it says the Messiah will be cut off. It's a week later, and he's cut off. He's crucified. He's killed. But notice what it says, but not for himself. It's not that Jesus did anything wrong. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He didn't die because of what he did wrong. He died because of what you and I had done wrong. He died as a substitute for you and for me, but not for himself. Now, when John the Baptist saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, many people don't understand this, but when God created Adam, Adam was a representative man. Think about it this way. You were in Adam. You were there. You were in him. Everything that you were supposed to be was in him. And he represented you in all that he did. Uh, I've used this illustration before, but honestly, it's the best one I know. Jeannie and I are living in Mexico, and we get, we're, we're pregnant for, with our son Samuel. And uh, we decided we would like to have him born in a nice, clean American hospital and be a U.S. citizen. And so we go and visit her parents, who at that time lived uh, just south of Spokane, Washington. Jeannie uh, gets up in the middle of the night, her, her water breaks. She said, baby, my water broke. Let's go to the hospital. And I mean, I literally I got her in the van. In fact, I started taking off before she got in. She had a contraction right when she was supposed to get in. But she got in. We're driving to the hospital. And, and honestly, we almost made it. But Samuel was born in the car. Well, actually, it was a van, a Ford van. In fact, three of our kids were born in Ford vans. I'm serious. Right. And that's why we're called Van Der Klocks, because they're born in vans. <laughs> All right. So, so here's what happened. All right. Now, listen, this may help you understand this. All right. We, did, we made a choice to take and leave Mexico and come to the United States so that he would be born an American citizen. All right. Because we were having problems getting in and out of Mexico because our first son had dual citizenships and they said, you're living there. And at the time, it was illegal to be a missionary and live there. So we made a decision that affected Samuel's nationality. Right? He didn't get to vote. He was not represented except by us. Right? Adam did the same thing for you. You were in Adam. Right? He was your representative. And he bowed his knee to Satan and literally became subservient to Satan. So Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death. Now look, death, sin, sickness, disease, war, pestilence, prejudice, every evil thing you can think of, that's where it came in, right there. That's where it came in. Death and everything that death brings through sin. Thus, death spread to all men because all sin. Our representative sin. How many of you know in Washington, we have representatives that make choices and pass laws and they affect you whether you like it or not. Same thing happened here. 
For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Therefore, death reigned and everything along with it, it brings from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Adam was a representative man. The Bible says that God sent another Adam. First Corinthians 15 calls him the last Adam. And the Bible says he is the Lord from heaven. So Jesus came and he is the last Adam. He is the last representative man. The first representative man sinned in a garden and got us in a mess. The last representative man died on a cross and paid for all our sin and paid for our redemption so that we could be out from under what the first Adam brought on us. And by the way, that is good news. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. Now, the offense is what Adam did, and the free gift is what Jesus did. Let me give you two differences, because they're not alike. First of all, the offense passes to you without your even knowing of the offense. However, the free gift, you need to make a choice. You need to receive Jesus, the free gift. Secondly, what God did in Christ in the last Adam is greater than what Satan did in the fall through the first Adam. God did more in Christ than Satan was able to do in Adam. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. I love the Amplified translations here. It says that you are to reign as kings in life. After 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, very often what we, we tend to do is we, we look at the prince and we somehow think it's talking about the prince that was there. The prince that was there was Titus. His father is going to become the, the emperor of Rome. And so people think of him as the prince. And we think, well, it's the Romans who came and destroyed the city and the sanctuary. And to a certain degree, that's true. Except by the middle of the first century, the Roman army was not comprised of Romans. It was comprised of conscripts from all of the different provinces. And uh, actually, the prince who is to come is the Antichrist, right? And his people will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The, the, the Hebrew word here is am, um, right? And it, it actually refers to an ethnic group, right? Not an empire or a kingdom under which the people live, but rather the people themselves, right? Here's, here's another way to look at it. It means the race, the tribe, the family, the kindred, the relatives. You're not looking for an empire. 
but you're rather looking for a race of people. So here's why this is important. When they came to destroy the city of Jerusalem, Titus comes, he's the Roman general with four legions. Now, the thing about these legions is they are not comprised of people from Europe. They're comprised of people from the Middle East, right? The 10th legion, which is actually the legion that broke through the walls, went into the city, toppled the Temple Mount, burned it so that they could get all the gold to melt, and then actually made the Temple Mount the base for their legion. That's where they camped, was on the Temple Mount. They're the ones who destroyed the Temple Mount, the 10th legion. They're from Turkey and Syria. I think we've got a map. Can you see Turkey and Syria there? And then there's the 15th. You, you can see where these nations are. They're not in Europe. Right? The Bible does not teach that the Antichrist is going to come out of Europe. The Bible teaches the Antichrist is going to come out of Turkey or Syria. Those are the people that were there. Those are the people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary. And the, you've got the 15th legion, the 12th legion, the 5th legion. They're there, but they are not the ones who actually broke through. Right? So when we're going to be looking for the Antichrist, by the way, we're going to be looking for somebody who's going to be coming out of Turkey or Syria. Now, I think this is interesting, and, and this may kind of help some of what you're, 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 you're thinking. As you read about the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, the thing that he keeps on doing is cutting people's heads off. Remember that? You won't buy, you can't buy or sell, you don't have his mark, you, you cut your head off. Uh, what, what religious group is cutting people's heads off? Just think about that. Because the Antichrist, that's who's going to be the, the, the religion that he is going to be bringing. In the end, we'll be with a flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. So you've got seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. But the prophecy is about how many weeks? 70 weeks. Now you notice the, the, the first portion, the seven weeks, right? And then the, the, the 62 weeks, they began at a certain point. They began when the commandment went forth to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, right? And after that, the 69 weeks are done. Now what happens is you don't see this immediately in the prophecy, but there is a break. There's a halftime. How many have ever watched Super Bowl? You know, I've been to parties. I don't think I've ever watched it. I just hang around with, eat food and talk to people. Right? I think the best, time, the best part of the whole thing is halftime. You know, they have a break in between. Now, it's one game, but there's a break. There's one prophecy here, but there's a break. The first 69 years began when the commandment went out. But now there's going to have to be another trigger for the last week. Right? Now, this is not uncommon in prophecy. Uh, in Luke chapter four, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord's on me. And he, he literally ends his speech. It says in uh, Luke four nineteen to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now he's quoting Isaiah 61, which says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now the day of vengeance of God is judgment day. Jesus is just saying, look, there's a time the acceptable year of the Lord, there's a time that we're going to call the period of grace, the church age. He said, and then someday there's going to be the vengeance of our God. But he takes half of the verse and says it's for today where the other half isn't going to take place for 2,000 years. 
All right. So, so this type of a thing is not uncommon in Bible prophecy. So verse 27, here's the key to bring the last week into play. And he, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week, a covenant, a treaty, an agreement. There's going to be an agreement that's made. And when that agreement is made, it's for seven years, and it puts this prophecy, the clock begins to tick. The last seven years begin. He'll make it for one week or seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, he will bring an end to sacrifices and offerings. You say, what does that mean? That means that between now and then, there's going to be a temple that's built on the Temple Mount. There's going to be some sort of a religious structure. And notice he's going to go into the book of Thessalonians says the most holy place. He's going to stop offerings that are being made and sacrifices that are being made. Now, when you go to Jerusalem one of the, with us, one of the places we always go is the Temple Institute. Now, the Temple Institute, the Jewish people have prepared everything for their new temple. In fact, we've got a couple pictures here. This is right outside the Temple Institute. You'll notice behind me is a menorah. This is the menorah that goes in the new temple. It is solid gold. It's about six feet tall. Right? And, and right inside, and by that, that's a bulletproof container. And you go inside the Temple Institute. These are the robes, the ones for the high priest, the others for a regular priest. These are the very robes they're going to wear. They have got everything for the new temple, everything, including the red heifer that they need. Every single item, they have it. And last time we were there, somebody said, how soon would you begin sacrificing on the Temple Mount if you could? And they said, in 24 hours. In 24 hours, they would start sacrifices. Now, by the way, if you go there, they will show you the blueprints, the diagram, everything of the temple. The temple, they, they've got it all planned out. All that they need is the okay. And when that covenant, that treaty is made, the Jewish people will build their temple. The Antichrist will go in and he will stop the sacrifices and the offerings. The book of Thessalonians says that he will declare himself to be God. Right? That's what he's going to do. Now, here's the great thing. The Bible says again in 2 Thessalonians, the Antichrist cannot be revealed until what is restraining is taken out of the way. What is restraining is taken out of the way. And by the way, you know what restrains the Antichrist? The church. The church is what restrains. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And until the church is taken out of the way, the Antichrist is not going to be revealed. Listen, the moment that a seven-year peace treaty is signed, we know who he is. We know who he is instantly. That's the guy. In the meantime, we don't know because there's always been types of the Antichrist. Hitler was a type. Haman was a type. In fact, 1 John chapter 4 says that the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world. So the spirit of Antichrist was here in the first century. So it's, it, so there's going to be types. There's going to be shadows. There's going to be people that do things that are motivated by the Antichrist spirit, right? But they may not be the Antichrist. And we won't know who he is until he signs the agreement, but he can't sign the agreement and be revealed until first the church is taken out of the way. So I'd say that to tell you this, right? Don't worry about him. 
Why worry about the fake when you got the real? And when he shows up, you're not going to be here anyway. Right? He's coming. He's coming, but it doesn't bother us, the church, because we know. Right? We know he's going to come into that temple. He's going to stop the sacrifices. He's going to stop the offerings. But the church, the church is going to be gone. All right. Now, next week, we're going to pick up right here. And we've got a lot of very important things to say. But not only are we going to be looking at what the Bible clearly talks about, the Antichrist, but we are going to look at the Antichrist spirit, the Antichrist spirit. And I just want to say right now, the Antichrist spirit is very strong in our nation today. Right? It is strong in our nation today. And as believers, we need to understand that. All right? We need to pray. We need to vote. We need to do the things that we can to restrain. And if the church isn't restraining, uh, we, we are missing our purpose. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So would you please bow your heads for just a moment? As, as the apostles are, are, are preaching in Acts chapter 3, he says, repent. People wonder, what does God want me to do? You see, so often we think God wants us to be better. He just wants us to do better. And we got this idea that someday we'll stand before God and he'll take all our good works in one hand and our bad works in the other hand. In whatever ways more, you'll slide into heaven or you'll slide into hell. But that is not true. What God wants you to do is repent. That literally means to turn your life around. Stop living to please yourself and start to live for God. He said that your sins may be blotted out. See, when we do that, we are forgiven. When we live for Jesus, when we receive him as our Lord, and we're living for him, our sins are blotted out. And notice it says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus said, the thief, the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. There are times of refreshing that God wants to bring into your life. When we turn away from our old life, stop living to please ourselves and make Jesus the Lord of our life. I'm gonna ask everybody to take one hand, place it over your heart, wherever you're at online, one hand over your heart, if you can, other hand lifted towards heaven, and we're gonna to pray together. And I want everybody make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he represented me. And his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Jesus. He is my king. I receive the forgiveness Jesus purchased for me. And I thank you. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus name. Amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the word of God. We upload weekly. So join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.